We are beginning a brand new series this morning. You are at week number one of this series. You know, research shows us that 43% of what we do every day is performed out of a habit. Now, these researchers kind of describe a habit as something that you're doing, but you're not uh, using your active uh, alert part of your mind, that frontal cortex there. You're not really using that. For example, I've used this example before. Let's say you're driving to work. You've done this before probably. You get to work and you think to yourself, wow, I don't remember driving to work. I mean, I don't remember the process. Maybe you're driving down 22nd Street You go through a signal light, and about the time you get on the other side of that light, you think to yourself, hmm, I don't remember if that was green or red. I just don't remember it. I hope it was green, but I don't remember, right? We've done that before, and that's what we're talking. That's the way these researchers are describing a habit. Science helps us know why this this happens, why we get go through a a light and we're not sure why you um, get in your car and you're about to leave somewhere and you think to yourself, oh, wait a minute, did I lock the front door? And you go up and about 90% chance you probably did. You test, yeah, I did. Uh, Why you leave the house and you think, oh, did I turn the stove off? Well, 90% chance you probably did, right? But you don't remember it. Science tells us the reason why all this happens. So let's go back to the car example. So you have driven that route from your house to work over and over and over and over again many times. The same route, pretty much the same uh, time of day when you're leaving for work, even similar speeds, and this has become a routine, something that has been done over and over again. Now there's a reward attached to that routine. And the reward is this. While you're driving, you got to think about other things, what you got to do during the day at work or what you have to do when you get home from work, what you have to do, what you have to buy at the grocery store. You're able to think, maybe just listen to the music and rock out. I don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something else. You're not having to really think about that drive. So that was rewarding for you. The science that we are just really beginning to understand is actually straight from God. I mean, this process that we're talking about right here is actually a gift from God. It's a product of God's creation. It's allowing us to live our daily lives without having to decipher, without having to interpret every little piece of information that comes into our life. We don't have to second by second process all of that information. God has designed your brain and my brain to help us out. So your brain is kind of sees something that's happening. Your brain's like, wow, we do this a lot. We seem to do this a lot over and over and over. So your brain says, listen, Harley, I I can handle this for you. You're not even going to have to think about this. I'll take care of it so you can do something else. And your brain takes all of that information And it stores that information in a non-conscious part of your brain. A part that's not in the front where you're actually kind of thinking about the details. It hides it deep kind of in the middle in this location of your brain that's called the basal ganglia. 
Weird name, I know, but that's what it's called. That's where it puts all of that information. So here's kind of what this process looks like. Your brain sets a cue, or you could call it a flag, or a marker. A marker, let's say as you're driving out of your driveway, your brain is like, hmm, we seem to do this a lot, about at the same time of day, and your, your brain sets a marker there, a, a flag. And when it sets that flag there, it knows that if we do some kind of routine, because we've done this enough, we know that when we get to the end of the routine, there's a reward at the end. And your brain puts all of that together. So after repeated occasions of you doing that same thing over and over again, and you get the reward, your brain says this, I'm going to mark that with a flag. So if this, if we come to something that looks like this, the brain says, hmm, here's the flag. I'm supposed to remember something here. So let me see, do we have a routine stored deep inside the basal ganglia? Do we have a routine stored that can handle this scenario? So it searches through all the basal ganglia looking, does this cue have a routine attached to it? And if it finds one, it brings that routine out, it pushes the play button, and it takes off. And the routine works, and the reward always happens at the end. And that is a habit, a cue. Your brain then finds the stored routine and then there's a reward. Your brain always follows for that reward. And all that information from the cue, the routine, the reward, it is all stored inside your basal ganglia. That's how it works. That's why when you get to work, sometimes you look and you think, wow, I don't remember driving here, but here I am. You go through the stoplight. Oh, I hope it was green. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I didn't pay attention. Your basal ganglia was driving. I know, right? Weird. That's what was happening. But you put yourself in a new town. Let's say you're in Little Rock, a new place to drive, driving somewhere new, and you come to a stop, a stoplight in Little Rock, there's a cue, a stoplight. So your brain goes into your basal ganglia. Wait a minute, let's see. Do we have a routine for this? And it's searching. It's saying, I've got a lot of routines for some stoplights, but not this one. This is a new one. And so the basal ganglia is like, I can't help you. You're going to have to do this on your own. And so when you're driving in Little Rock, you're very aware, aren't you? You're alert. You know when you go, come to a stoplight and you recognize whether it is red or green or yellow. You're alert. You're operating from the front part of your brain here, not deep inside where the habits are stored. Isn't that interesting? So if you're in a new place, in a new area, the basal ganglia can't help you out because it does not have a cue attached to a routine, attached to a reward. So you can't drive and not think about that. Wow. I don't know if that is interesting to you like that is interesting to me. So with no habit stored in the basal ganglia, it's like, nope, this is new. I can't help you out. You're going to have to handle this on your own, Harley. It's up to you. Don't get a ticket. You have to be aware now. You have to be alert. You have to know what's going on. You have to notice every signal light. But so often during our day, our brain goes into this autopilot. 
with the basal ganglia. Because it pulls habits out. When it hits the cue, it pulls out a routine, a habit. There's always a reward attached to the end. And science tells us that just about half of our daily activities that we do during the day, about half of those are functioning from your basal ganglia and you're not really having to use the front part of your thinking alert brain. It's just happening for you. Very cool. Those are all habits. Our habits are stored. Cue, routine, reward. They're stored in the basal ganglia. We all have some good habits. Some good habits that benefit our lives and make our lives better. They make them easier. They make it uh, better just to function. Good habits. But we also, if you're anything like me, and, and I know you are, we also have bad habits. We have cues that set up routines and give us a reward. But there's something about that routine that actually hurts our lives. That possibly something about that routine that actually destroys part of our lives. You know, your basal ganglia deep inside your mind, it does not determine whether something you're doing is moral or immoral. Your basal ganglia, where the habits are stored, does not determine if something you're doing is right or wrong. It doesn't do that. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't take over that function. It just has the habit. All it wants to know, your basal ganglia, is did we like the reward? When we did this routine, did we like the reward? And if we like the reward, then it says, well, there you go. We're going to do that again. <laughs> and it does. It turns into a habit. That's part of the reason why we have some habits, some cues that set our brain into action to looking for a routine. It pulls the routine associated with that cue. It pushes play and you do it. You get the reward. That's some of the reason why we have some routines in our lives that actually hurt us, but we keep doing them. That's why we have a routine that could actually shorten our lives, like smoking can shorten the length of our lives. But we do that, we do that routine because we get some kind of reward, and our brain just does it. Even though it could hurt us, it does it. That's why we do some things that can harm us emotionally, like pornography, that's why we do some things over and over again that could damage us physically, like overwork. That's why we do some things over and over again out of habit that could even harm our relationship when lying and cheating or adultery. When the cue, whatever that is, the flag, the marker, when that alerts the brain, the brain looks into the basal ganglia, not judging whether this will hurt us or not. It looks for something that will give us the reward. It looks for a routine. If it finds one associated with that cue, it pulls it out, puts it in, hits play, and lets it function because it knows when I hit play, the reward is coming. And we do these things, even the things that harm us, over and over and over and over again. 
Now, think with me for just a moment. For you, think of two habits that you know right now for you, you would say these are bad habits. Two habits. Two habits that have maybe been weighing heavy on your mind. I mean, maybe they've caused you trouble already, or maybe they've made you think, I have got to stop this. Think of two habits. And it might range from something small and insignificant, just annoying perhaps, to it could be something major and life-altering. And this series has the possibility to help you, but only to the extent that you might be willing to participate. And oh, I hope, I hope that you will. So get two habits in your mind right now. You're not going to have to call them out. You're not going to have to raise your hand. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But two habits, put them in your mind right now. And here's what I want you to do. Would you possibly be bold enough just to, on the back of your worship guide, just to jot a note, those two habits down? Maybe you have to write in code just in case somebody sees them. That's okay. Or you could send yourself a text message. Do you know you can text yourself? I do it all the time. Helps me remember things. But you could text that to you. Or maybe you're just right now locking them right now in your mind. Just whatever you choose to do, will you do that? Lock them in your mind. Good habits have routines attached to them that actually make our lives better. Bad habits have routines attached to them that actually hurt our lives but we can't seem to stop them. That's the amazing thing. When our brain notices a cue, notices that flag, it instantly grabs the routine associated with that because your brain knows if I do this, Harley gets the reward. So it grabs that routine and we perform that routine, get the reward. We do that over and over and over again. Even after you determine that this routine can hurt me or hurt someone else, we keep doing it anyway. Even after we realize this is not good for me, this is hurting me or this is hurting someone else, we keep doing it anyway. And once it becomes a habit, you have, once it's planted in that basal ganglia, you have in a very real sense become because you have struggled because you can't stop. You know this because you have struggled to stop. And you find, I, I can't do it. Maybe for you, it's perfectionism. Everything has to be just right. Maybe for you, it's a great need for approval. Or maybe it, your anger might be out of control. Perhaps you manipulate people in your relationships so that you can get what you want. Or maybe you overwork. Maybe you overeat or you overdrink or you overmedicate. Here's my question. Are you possibly ready to begin the battle to stop something that's not good for you? Not good for your future, not good for your relationships. You know, if you're like me, you're not the first to be enslaved. You're not the first who wants to be free from something that seems to have a hold of you.
we're going to take a look at one of the most famous stories of moving from slavery to freedom. And we're going to draw some principles from that through this whole series, uh, this journey, for our journey even, from slavery, whatever's holding us, towards freedom. So if you have your habits clearly in your mind, here's what I want you to do now. Just two habits clearly in your mind. I want you now to pick one habit. Pick one that damages you the most. One habit that damages you the most. One of the two. Now, let's begin. The book of Exodus literally means that word. It means the road out or the path out. This was, the book of Exodus, the road out of slavery to freedom for the Hebrew people who are also called the Israelites, who are also called Jews. It is their road out to freedom, their path to freedom. And we're going to find in this story some, some direction for our path out from us, uh, from a deep, you know, a harmful habit usually develops for us uh, from a deep craving that we have, either maybe a craving for significance or comfort. It could be security. It could be for meaning in life. It could be for approval. Ultimately, for many of us, it is for love. And we focus on that craving so much and with so uh, much intensity that that craving becomes a tiny little idol in our lives. And we begin to worship that craving because we're focusing all of our lives on meeting that need, that craving. We begin to place our trust in that craving, that need. We begin to swear allegiance to that. We begin to design uh, our own plan to meet that need rather than trusting God to help us meet that need. And in that moment, we enter down a path of pain. It's pain for us. It's pain for people who are close to us. And most of the idols that we crave are actually, they're not bad things. They're good things that we have allowed to control us. So like sex and food and work and pleasure. We could even say sleep. Those are all things that God has designed in our lives, needs that he has placed in our lives. But when we take them to the extreme, those good things begin to damage us. When you've tried to stop, you've worked really hard to stop something and you find you can't. Eventually you get to the point where you feel like, I've tried everything. And you realize, I can't. I've tried to stop this. I can't. And you might begin to realize what Israel realized. When they realized we need help. We can't get free. And the Bible says they cried out to God in the book of Exodus. And listen to God's response when they cried out to God. Exodus chapter 2 verse 24. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. I'm going to give you several, uh, several points this morning, several helps this morning as we begin our journey, our path out. 
And here's the first, the first habit breaking point I want to share with you is this. When you cry out to God in desperation, something happens. When you cry out to God from a desperate place, out of desperation, something happens. And here's what happens. The first thing is, as we just read in Exodus 2.24, God hears you. He is listening to you. And the heart of God, when he hears you, is actually quickened towards you. It moves towards you. So he hears you and he's moved towards you. And you know what happens then? He remembers something. He remembers his relationship with you. If you have given your life to God, here's how that happens. You realize that God has given me this gift of life. And you realize that you have blown it in this life as I have. And you say, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. I cannot achieve what God wants me to achieve, which you know what that is? God created you for perfection. And I've missed it. I blew that a long time ago. And when I realized that and what Jesus did for me when he died on the cross, I realized this. He died to pay the price of my imperfection, to pay the price from all of my mistakes, all of my sin, all the ways I have blown it. And if I look at God now and say, God, you gave me this life, but I'm giving it back to you. And I can do that because Jesus paid the price for all of my sin. And so I give this life back to you. It is yours. It's no longer mine. It belongs to you. And when you do that, then God takes a hold of your life and it is his. Yeah, you're still going to blow it. You're still going to make mistakes. I sure have. But God doesn't let you go. He doesn't throw you out with the trash. He doesn't drop you. He doesn't throw you away. He still has you. All of that's been forgiven. In fact, even in the midst of all of these bad habits, God still has a hold of me. And if you have given your life to him, if you said, God, this life is yours because of what Jesus did, he paid the price for me. You gave me this life, but I'm giving it back to you. You are now the owner of this life. I'm following your way. I'm following you. He holds you. Even though you may have a habit that is destroying your life or hurting other people, he has not let you go. And when you cry out to him, we are reminded in this story that he hears your desperation and God remembers he has you, your relationship with him. He remembers it. And you know what? This passage also reminds us that he's concerned. He doesn't just hear you and he doesn't just remember that. He's concerned and his concern moves from the very depth of his relationship with you and it moves him to help you. It moves him to send you mercy and grace and it flows into your life. That's what happens when you cry out to God. Whatever your struggle if you cry out to God in desperation, he hears you. He remembers his relationship with you if you have given him your life. And guess what? He's also concerned and it moves him to action. Here's habit breaking point number two for today. Your freedom, your journey towards freedom, it begins when you admit to God that you are powerless and you need his help. 
You can't just cry out to God and say, hey, God, I need some help over here. I'm, I'm struggling with this. God, I might need, would you stand by? I might need you to get me out of this one. When you cry out in desperation, you have to cry out to God and say, I am powerless. I have tried. I can't do it, God. And I have to admit to you, I'm powerless, but you can do this. I need your help. You can do this, God. I can't. I need you. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 109, 26. He said, help me. Oh, help me, God, my God. Save me through your wonderful love. I think that's a picture of the psalmist surrendering. Surrendering to God. And when that happens, something empowers the possibility of you walking towards freedom now on God's path. So let's look at a picture of what can happen in your life if you surrender to God. So back to our story. The Hebrew people, they, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they are in slavery and they realize uh, we are powerless. We're powerless to change. We're powerless to change our future. And so they call out on God. They cry out to God. And God hears them. He remembers his relationship with them. And he's moved with concern towards their lives. That's what happens. And now, as part of moving towards these people, God picks out a person. He picks out Moses. And he chooses Moses to help walk these people towards freedom. Now let's talk about Moses for just a minute. Because Moses now, at this time in his life, when God is putting all this together, Moses is a convicted murderer who once lived in Egypt, and he lived in the palace of Pharaoh. But now, Moses, as a convicted murderer in Egypt, he is on the run from Pharaoh. And for the last 40 years, Moses has been hiding from Pharaoh as a shepherd in the wilderness. And so Moses is shepherding in the wilderness one day, and he sees something burning. It was not all that strange to see something burn in the desert. But the strange thing was this bush was not burning up. It just kept burning and kept burning and kept burning. That was strange. It catches Moses' attention, and he heads over towards the bush to investigate. And when he gets there, God, with a real voice now, speaks to Moses. And God tells Moses that he has heard the cry of the Hebrew people and that God is going to lead them on a journey towards freedom. And oh, by the way, God has chosen you, Moses, to lead them towards that freedom. Now, when Moses hears this, uh, that he's going to be the one to lead them to freedom, Moses has a freak out moment. He's like, what? Me, God, I, I can't do that. Not, not me, I, I can't do it. I, I'm nothing, God, I, I can't. Even if I did go, God, oh, there's no way. they would. Who would I tell them sent me? Am I going to say I, I am here because the bush sent me? What am I going to tell them, God? And God answers all of those fears, and Moses comes up with another one. 
He says, oh, okay, okay. So God, if I do go, no one's going to believe that I really was talking to God, that it is you that's sending me. And so now in this moment, God gives Moses a visual lesson in what surrender looks like. And here's how that was played out. And we see it right here. God asked him a question in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. Here's what he said. Then the Lord asked him, asked Moses, Moses, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. God said, throw it down on the ground. Now think just a moment about Moses in this place at this time. That staff that he was holding in his hand, that shepherd's staff, it represented the identity of Moses. Because Moses right now in this moment is a shepherd. Right now as he's talking to God, Moses is a shepherd. And that staff, that's his identity. This is a shepherd's staff. I'm a shepherd. This is my identity. This is who I am. This is my career. This is my income. This staff has actually kept me alive. This is who I am. And now God asked Moses to take that and throw it down. He was asking Moses to take the thing that deep down inside of Moses represented his identity. And that identity is what Moses was holding on to. No, 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 God, I can't do that. I'm a shepherd. I am a shepherd. But God said, throw that down. Throw down that thing, Moses, that you see as your identity. Moses, I'm going to need you to throw down that thing that you see as your source for life, your income, your career. That thing that, you, that represents to you who you really are, Moses, I want you to throw that down. God said, throw that down before me. Drop it. Let it go. Lay it down. And the passage goes on to say, so Moses threw down the staff. And it says, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Some translations say he ran. And verse 4, it says, then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it. And when he lifted it up, it turned back into a shepherd's staff again. Right in his hand. Right there. You know what? That very act of throwing down the staff. And Moses picking it back up. That is a picture of what God was eventually going to do in the life of Moses. If Moses were to surrender. You see, Moses transformed from a shepherd of sheep to the shepherd of God's people, God's nation. 
When Moses picked back up that rod in that very moment, it became God's staff, not Moses' staff anymore. It became God's staff, and Moses became God's man in that moment. And this picture that God gives us in Exodus also applies to our habit breaker point number three. Here it is. This is what happens. This is what happens to us when we lay down our careers, when we lay down our relationships, when we lay down our habits, our incomes, everything that we say is, this is my identity, this is who I am. So many of the habits we have, they consume us, and we say, that alcohol is me, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. I am this bad habit, that is me. And God says, will you lay down that identity? Will you lay it down before me? Somehow, we lay our lives down before God. He touches them. And we pick them up again. As a life being made new. And that is a picture of surrender. That is surrender. And this series is going to help you perhaps begin that journey. You know all that God required of Moses in this moment? All that God required for for Moses to begin this journey, this path out of slavery and towards freedom, all he required was surrender. All Moses had to do was throw down his fears, throw down his destructive tendencies, throw down his limitations, throw down his identity. And God is asking the same question of us. What is in your hand? What is it that you are holding on to? And are you willing to lay that down, that thing down that you're holding on to tighter and tighter and tighter. When you have a moment of anxiety, you'll hold it tighter. When you have a moment of uncertainty, whatever that habit is, you hold it tighter. When you have a moment of hurt in your life, you hold it tighter. And God is asking, will you surrender that? Will you take that and throw it down and it's only when you have identified what is holding you back what is trapping you what is holding you down it's only when you identify that and surrender that only then can you one day pick your life back up a life being made new the series can help you begin that. I'm not trying to oversimplify this to say if you just lay it down, you're never going to struggle again. I'm just saying, are you willing to begin the process of laying that down and allowing God to create you new? We want to help you. But in order to do that, back to the two habits we ask you to think of, I ask you to narrow those down to one. The one 
most destructive habit right now. And I want to now give you, as we close, four steps that I'm asking you to take this week as you begin your journey out, your path out. Here's the first one. Have you realized that you can't? Well, you answer that question this week. Have you realized that you can't do it? You can't stop it. It is in there and it happens. When the cue happens, it just happens. You can fight it for a little while. You have fought it for a little while, but eventually it has come back, hasn't it? That's why it's in your mind right now and you're thinking that's the habit. Have you realized you can't? Here's the second thing. Have you cried out to God? And I'm not just saying, hey, God, I could use some input over here or I could use a little help over here. I mean, have you cried out to God in desperation? And here's the third thing. Will you take what is limiting you? Will you take what is hurting you, what is holding you back, and will you begin to lay it down before God? Will you just begin... This whole series is going to be part of that laying it down. Will you begin, though? Will you begin? Here's the fourth thing I'm asking you to do this week. Very practical. On our church Facebook page this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, four days this week, I'm going to post a verse chosen very specifically for this series. And this week, specifically. Each day, will you possibly consider just sharing that to your timeline so it's there and you remember it? Will you take that verse maybe and write it down and carry it with you throughout your day? Do it Monday, do it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And will you carry that verse, a new one for each day, will you carry it with you and read it many times during the day? When you get a break, when you can pause, when you can look down, read it. Will you read that many times during the day? But I don't want you just to read it. I don't want you just to read words in your mind, read words. No, I want, when you read it, I want you to have a conversation in your heart with God at that moment about what you're reading. Tell God what you're feeling. Tell God how you're hurting. Tell God what this means. Talk to God about what that verse says. Monday, and then again on Tuesday with a different verse. Wednesday again, Thursday again. Will you do that? I believe what we're talking about in this series can help you. Help you down the path and out of slavery to a habit, but only if you'll participate with us. And I'm praying that you will before that habit hurts you more. Before that habit hurts someone else more. My friends. I have habits too. Let's get free together. Let's pray. Father we are all in some way. Trapped by habit. And ultimately we have tried to. To, to get rid of that. And we've been unable We were slowly enslaved because we ask that habit, that that thing, that action to meet some kind of need in a way that eventually harmed us, but we didn't see that coming. We didn't see that we were asking this 
thing to do something for us that really only you could do within us, God. Jesus, help us to follow your path out. Your path to freedom. May we realize that we can't do it. May we cry out to you, Father. May we take what we are holding and may we throw it down in front of you, God. And, and may you, through the truth of your word in this series, help us to take our lives back up again, created new by you. May we do the difficult work of surrender this week as we think deeply about your scriptures. Jesus, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have heard. And give us the courage to do it. Amen.